The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, as we are streaming live Thursday, April 28, 2022. And we decided, you know what, what the heck? Let's compete with the NFL draft because we are geniuses over here at Sox Machine as that will totally be used against us <laughs> later. <laughs> uh, but again, thank you guys so much for those that are watching the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine or on our website at SoxMachine.com or if you follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine or following me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And for the two of you that are watching on Twitch, Hello, thanks for watching on Twitch as well. For those that don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream, because instead of watching a show about the White Sox, you wanted to watch the NFL draft, Sox Machine Live, the audio is always uploaded into the podcast feed wherever you subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast. Unfortunately for the Chicago White Sox, things are not happy. After winning a 73 ball game on Wednesday, hoping instilling confidence that the White Sox were able to bottle up that performance and win this series against the Kansas City Royals. They lose in extra innings, 5-2, to two, in really embarrassing fashion. Extra inning games are not good for the Chicago White Sox. So, Jim, let's just start the conversation there from a micro scale before we get macro on the White Sox here. With this divisional loss to the Kansas City Royals, the White Sox are now seven and 11 on the season. They are three and nine against the American league central. And I roll my eyes saying that because that's a level of pathetic that I wasn't expecting from the white Sox. What do you make of this series loss? It's a confluence of factors. It's, uh, you know, the weather is playing a part or at least like it does seem to affect the White Sox maybe more profoundly than other teams because they are, you know, they have built themselves to be reliant on the home run, but as we're seeing, they don't really have another mode 
if you scratch across runs, it just so happens like the guys who are best at getting on base, whether it's Andrew Vaughn or whether it's uh, you know, Yasmani Grandal, they aren't able to advance you know more than 90 feet at a time unless the guy behind them is also running more than 90 feet. They're not going to go first to third. They're not going to steal a base. Um, they're not going to draw walks. And a lot of guys keeping the line moving right now. So, uh, you know, they're not non-base percentage teams, just, you know, losing some homers, but able to just apply enough pressure over the course of nine innings to luck or scratch across runs other, you know, otherwise. So, you know, as much as it is, sounds like an excuse for saying like the yeah, ball is not carrying, the ball is messed up. The humidor is uh, dragging the ball down. The weather is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all those sound hollow and they are, but I think, you know, it, it's, it's real, but it also points to a flaw in the way this team is designed or the way the team is operating or a way the team can't be coached out of like maybe Frank Minic- I think Frank Minichino is trying to say the right things. Yeah. I don't think it's a matter of, mindset or approach it's just more of a matter of like these aren't guys you know generally speaking up and down the lineup who are going to work counts and draw walks they make things happen or they try to but as we've seen when they try to make things happen against like a brad keller who spends a lot of time out of the zone or you know at the very bottom part of it you just end up with a lot of mundane outs yeah the this was an incredible stat that Pinos put up on Twitter, which you can follow him on Twitter at SoxMock underscore Pinoles. Total walks in the three-game series. The Royals had 23 walks, which that number is kind of mind-blowing, uh, especially what they walked, what, 11 times in mm-hmm. the first game uh, as Dallas Keuchel had no command whatsoever. And now he's afraid to live in the strike zone, but he's not the only lefty uh, that feels that way for the White Sox. Uh, as Aaron Bummer's got problems as well. 23 walks in three games is not good on the pitching staff. The White Sox had five walks. So when you're giving up a lot of walks and your team is not walking a lot, you know, just in the free passes, the Royals had 18 extra base runners and the White Sox did, Jim, Mm -hmm. before you even tally up the hits. That's really hard to overcome. And yeah, it's like the uh, time of possession kind of. <laughs> it feels yeah, like exactly. You, you let the other team hold the ball for 40 minutes in a game. It feels like, uh, you know, just eventually going to get worn down by it or it's going to bite you somehow. And it did for the White Sox and the two losses that they had against the Royals. And, you know, we talked about this on Monday that it felt like this is a must win series for the White Sox because, Even though it's early, they just need that boost. They need that morale boost, a shot in the arm to get going. Because as we're going to talk about here in a moment, the schedule does not get any easier for the White Sox after this series. The Royals are not that good of a team. Mm -hmm. Even though the White Sox are going through injuries, the White Sox should be able to win this series, defend their home turf. And now stepping back after this series loss to the Royals and We'll, we'll we'll chime in on the good things that happen to the White Sox. Not could be completely pessimistic, but three and nine against the American League Central. Like, what do you make of that, Jim? When you hear that the White Sox are three and nine to start the season against their divisional opponents. Well, we talked about it before uh, the season, talking about uh, the projections, whether it's Zips, whether it's Pakoda, trying to figure out, um, you know how the, you know, what, what would it be like 20, 25% outcome of the White Sox missing the postseason? How would that happen? And in this case, like a uh, three and nine start against divisional rivals, like the twins getting a few games up in the standings 
you know, overcoming their shakiness uh, in certain innings, in certain situations, uh, certain flaws in the roster, you know, letting them bounce back and, and get that little bit of a head start. Like that's, this is how it starts. Um, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen all the way. Like, as you mentioned, players are injured. Players are coming back from injury, whether it's Yohan Makata, Joe Kelly, um, you know, Lance Lynn, they should be able to help. But mm-hmm. it would seem like I'm prepared for this season to be very uneven. Like right now, I think they can go on five game winning streaks and they can go on five game losing streaks. Um, the, the thing that gives me comfort or at least, uh, you know, just uh, makes me think like, you know, try to think outside the White Sox and, and, and pull back a little bit and say like, well, every game, every time Jason Benetti is running down the scoreboard, he's talking about some no hitter being brought into the sixth inning or dueling perfect games or just uh, you know, how many shutouts a night or how many teams held to one run. And just a lot of teams are dealing with this right now. The Royals were one team dealing with that. Like they were, they almost lost the series. Like the White Sox very well could have won the series because the Royals, despite all the pressure they applied uh, in game three, like they could have very well lost it. Uh, you know, letting a two nothing lead fritter away with a Larry Garcia Homer. And, you know, other, so like they had the same problems. They're staring down the same barrel. So many other teams are. So I imagine that, it will be the White Sox turn at some point to be the team that sweeps because, uh, you know, another offense is having trouble scoring more than like five runs in three games. Uh, but right now I think the way the, you know, the way the injuries are mounting, the way like players are going outside of themselves and to terrible results right now, I think it's the White Sox turn to spiral a little bit. And you hope that, you know, that these wins don't, or wins and losses don't continue to be, targeted to where you know every time they lose they lose two games in the standings because it's against a direct opponent so that's i think the uh the tricky part here is just you know i I think they're gonna have stretches like this other teams are gonna have stretches like this against the white Sox, but right now just it, it hurts double in the standings yeah looking at the american league central the minnesota twins have caught fire after they started the season four and eight the minnesota twins have now won their last seven games The Twins are in the position that I thought the White Sox would be at the end of the month. They are 11-8, and and they got a three-game lead over the second-place Kansas City Royals, who are currently 7-10. and The White Sox are 7-11, so they're already three-and-a-half games back of the Minnesota Twins. And the White Sox don't face the Twins again until the month of July. Uh, So the White Sox and Twins, uh, I mean, the Twins have an opportunity here, especially in the upcoming months to gain a couple of games and have enough distance that if they do play a three game series against the white Sox, next time they do that will be in July uh, that they're not going to lose the division lead. Even if the white Sox do sweep the twins. Uh, So the white Sox are three and a half games back of the twins. Cleveland is four games back. They're seven and 12 and Detroit having a really tough time to start the season. Just like last year, the tigers are six and 12 in last place of the American League Central, they're four and a half games back of the Minnesota Twins. And I guess now it's an opportunity to zoom back here. Uh, and before we get into the macro, we do have the golden cog of the series uh, that is voted upon by our followers on Twitter. So again, follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh to vote for the golden cog of the series. And our followers, Jim, selected Andrew Vaughn as Andrew Vaughn had the key three run Homer to break it open for the white Sox in game two. 
that was a great moment for him. I thought it was a great moment for the team to start a rally and then plop. Uh, that <laughs> did not happen today. Uh, they lose the following game, but that was still a good moment for Andrew Vaughn. I would have actually selected Jake Berger uh, because Jake Berger had a really good series. I think, you know, when it comes to the functioning of the offense, I think I would give the nod to Vaughn just because, you know, Berger did perform well, especially if he were able to get the extra five feet on the fly ball to left field that didn't clear the fence. Uh, the one that Statcast said 403 feet and the real outcome was like 370. Um, yeah. If he could have found five of those 30 missing feet, I think uh, maybe uh, that would have tilted the scales <laughs> in his favor. Yeah. But Vaughn, I think, you know, even in his unproductive at bats, like just if they made the whole plane out of Andrew Vaughn, we wouldn't really be talking about this offense just because they would have that, you know, they wouldn't have the dynamic speed or just the ability to, you know, make up runs out of whole cloth uh, with a walk. Uh, but they, would have just the ability to keep the line moving to have a batter and inning reach base, you know, more or less, and to just make the pitcher work from the stretch and not have like a, a situation where Brad Keller can face the minimum because uh, if he gives up a single or a base runner, it rounds into a double play. So I, I think just the uh, composure that he's showing in his at bats, uh, that along with the the homer uh, that he hit that that gave them that sorely needed win, I think that's enough to tilt the scales in his favor. We are expecting to see Luis Robert in this upcoming series against the Angels, which we will be previewing that series later on in this episode of Sox Machine Live. Uh, the question that I was pondering, because we had a happy Twitter space. Uh, many of the Twitter spaces lately have been venting sessions, Jim. But we had a happy Twitter space, and I was pondering with Andrew Vaughn hitting so well. Luis Roberts supposed to rejoin the team over the weekend uh, after sitting games out with a groin injury. Roberts been batting second, but Vaughn has been batting second in his stead. Mm -hmm. Do you have Vaughn continue to bat second, or do you put Robert at second and maybe drop Vaughn down one spot to be batting third? I wouldn't mind having uh, Robert like maybe batting in the back half of the lineup just to you know when he comes back. Uh, you know, just to see if there's any rust. Like I'm watching AJ Pollock's at bats and his timing does not look there. Uh, he's swinging, you know, over sinkers, uh, chasing stuff out of the zone behind on high fastballs. Like he's not finding his timing. I'm surprised that he didn't have a rehab stint just because, you know, he only played a couple games uh, before his injury. And then he's, he's gone for 10 days and just goes right back in the lineup. And he just does not look Right. You know, to the extent that we know what AJ Pollock's supposed to look like, because I imagine, mm -hmm. you know, neither of us and not many White Sox fans have spent a whole lot of time absorbing his his game and the visuals of a functioning uh, Pollock. But I think just watching him coming back, it's not great. And given that Robert really wasn't clicking before his injury, I wouldn't mind, you know, maybe batting him sixth or something like that, just to, uh, you know, allow Vaughn to keep having the good at bats, allow, you know, when the, when the order flips over, and if, you know, Garcia homers again from the ninth spot, great. Like that's, this is like the Larry Garcia, everybody likes uh, where he bats ninth. And if he delivers something great, everybody's happy. And if he doesn't like, oh, well, he's hitting ninth. Um, you know, that's, that's cool. If he turns over the lineup and you have Anderson there and then you have Vaughn right behind, like I'd rather see Vaughn coming up in that situation than Roberts until Robert just gets a few games under him. We see what he can do. Uh, that's kind of where my head is at right now, but say like in, a great case situation where uh, both of them are functioning, then I think it's a matter of, 
I, I think I still like Robert hitting second just because when I've watched the White Sox offense be good and then watching them uh, malfunction, I think when Anderson and Robert make the game look easy, the offense flows. Like it just looks like this is the game the White Sox are supposed to play. It's not supposed to work. Anderson's not supposed to hit 300. Robert is not supposed to do some of the things he does. But when they both are are just clicking like that, uh, a lot of things fall in line behind them. So I think should it get to a situation where Robert looks like his, I guess, first series self and, and Vaughn continues this pace, you know, maybe hit Vaughn third. Maybe, you know, Jose Abreu needs to go down in the order a little bit, you know, one spot lower. So you keep uh, front-loading lineup with your best hitters. Yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. I, I do like the idea of Robert still batting second. As you mentioned, Jim, the offense does flow. And I think Andrew Vaughn will be a little bit more patient than Jose Abreu and let Robert run if mm-hmm. Robert is back to 100%. Any way that the White Sox can advance – on the base pass and make it a little bit easier for them to score runs. You got to take it at this moment, especially with the team struggling so much offensively, but it's time now to zoom back out and look at the macro of the Chicago white Sox. we got this question in from our comment section, our friend, AJ Mithin and AJ wrote to us, fellas, the white Sox were putrid in spring training. And since the all-star break last year have been really poor and must win games. Are we expecting too much from the White Sox? And one number that I saw since the All-Star break, the White Sox are barely or at 500 uh, since last year, Jim, in the regular season. Uh, So it's just not, if you look at it that way in that lens, the, the White Sox have been a 500 team for almost the last 100 regular season games dating back to last year. Well, I would object to the framing the question and say, are we expecting too much? Like, no, it's the top of the rebuild. Like, or it's like the, the, the top of the contention window. We're supposed to expect a lot. Like, I don't think the White Sox should be left off, you know, let them off the hook if, uh, you know, they somehow have a roster that doesn't fit together. Um, you know, that's, that's not our fault. <laughs> we didn't do anything wrong. Uh, we've been uh, waiting it out and, and this is supposed to be the reward window. So no, we should expect a lot. Um, when it comes to the, you know, the greater question of just, um, is this team not as good as the projections say, or is, you know, the, uh, is the cushion overblown, uh, based on what we thought, you know, what both fans thought and what, uh, you know, just, um, you know, neutral, uh, formulas, algorithms thought, um, I would say maybe just because of the targeted, effect of the injuries, like losing Lance Lynn and going from Lance Lynn to Vince Velasquez hurts a lot, especially when Dallas Keuchel uh, is not delivering either. Like if Keuchel could slide up to be a second starter or a third starter because Dylan Cease is now the second starter, like that would be fine. Like they could get by with it. But when, you know, Lynn has to cover for both Keuchel and who's ever in the fifth spot or in the sixth spot, like that's where it gets, you feel his, uh, his absence even more. And then like Moncada, not only, you know, Moncada being hurt, but Moncada being one of the more patient bats, a left-handed bat against right-handed pitching, that hurts. Especially like when Josh Harrison or Jake Berger, you know, just righties who struggle against righties or are at the very least like don't do anything special against them are the ones that respond. So right now I think like the, the just the effect of the injuries felt. Like I think, you know, when Tim Anderson has left the lineup, and Larry Garcia has taken his place. Like the White Sox, you know, they do get some benefit of having another lefty in the lineup. 
and, and and so they don't lose that lineup balance that way. So that's why I think sometimes his absence doesn't hurt, especially if they're facing like the right kind of pitchers. Uh, but in this case, like it's hard, you know, as well as Jake Berger is playing for somebody, you know, for his pay grade, we'll say, because he's, he's a rookie trying to figure it out. Like it just, it hurts when, you know, just a succession of right-handed hitters who you don't feel can really turn on something a Brad Keller is throwing the way like Yasmani Grandal rifled that single through the right side, you know, just, you know, just really, you know, you know smash that one through. Like there isn't anybody who's really doing that with regularity. So I think if Moncada can come back and, and, and help some lineup balance, if Robert comes back and looks dynamic and, and, and really, you know, not expecting too much from Adam Angle anymore, Pollock, mm-hmm. if he can find his timing, like there are ways for this offense to improve and, we won't necessarily be judging them on their lowest moment, but it is, it is a little bit uh, concerning or, or maybe, you know, maybe not just a little bit, just, it is concerning just how fragile this construction can be the whole, you know, basically stay healthy, you know, issue coming up to bite the white Sox, like, you know, having Joe Kelly, you know, consuming a lot of the off season resources, missing the first month and realizing like, Oh, he's, He's supposed to be the fourth most important reliever, but somehow he feels like he's more vital to the operations because Aaron Bummer is struggling and, and they don't, and, and Garrett Crochet is out. So they can use a righty that retires lefties the way Kelly does. Like it's, that's where it feels like this is, you know, awfully precarious. And in ways that, uh, you know, when it comes to say investing 40 million in the bullpen and still feeling like that's incomplete, that's, I think where it, it, it feels uncomfortable. What's the tape that you see the infomercials on where you can build a canoe out of and it doesn't sink? Flex oh, seal. Yes, the White I Sox saw can this use boat them. in half, <laughs> and it still it still sails. <laughs> yeah, flex seal. That's what the White Sox need. They need some flex seal uh, with this roster because uh, the question is: Is it going to get better for the White Sox? And Let's take a look at the gauntlet. So last year they had a pretty significant gauntlet, which the White Sox were facing their division opponents last year. If they were to win the American League Central, they had to succeed in that gauntlet and they crushed the gauntlet and it helped them greatly uh, be able to coast to their first divisional title since 2008. And this gauntlet looks different. This time, I believe this is the most difficult part of the White Sox schedules coming up. April 29th through June 9th. So this starts tomorrow and it's a 38 game stretch for the White Sox. So almost a quarter of the season, they got seven games against the New York Yankees. They got six games against the Boston Red Sox, five games in Kansas city. That's that five game series at four days at Kauffman stadium. They have four games against the angels, which are going to be previewing that series in a moment. Then they have the home and home four games against the Chicago Cubs. So two games at Wrigley, which will start immediately after the Angels series. And then the Cubs will be visiting the South side over Memorial day weekend. And then they have three game series against the Cleveland guardians at home on the road to face the Tampa Bay Rays and the Toronto blue Jays. So we're going to find out who's not vaccinated on the white Sox team uh, when they visit Toronto. And then this gauntlet ends with a three-game home series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And my Lord, that team looks completely stacked. So this is a 38-game stretch. And you just mentioned something, Jim, uh, that I, I, I found interesting is that right now, 
analyzing the White Sox and judging the White Sox, we are judging the White Sox supposedly at their lowest moment. I challenge that. I don't think we have yet to see their lowest moment of the season uh, because a little thought exercise and everyone can play along here. I've created a scorecard on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, you can see the scorecard. So I listed as far as the number of games against each of these opponents, 38 games. Uh, So if you would like to play along, Jim, let's start with the Yankees. So last year, the Yankees won six out of seven against the White Sox. How many wins do you think they could get against the New York Yankees in the upcoming 38 games? So they got seven games against the Yankees out of seven. How many games do you have the White Sox winning? I'm pulling up the schedule right now just because I want to see when these games are coming. I just want to to try to figure out who's going to be back uh, when. So So for the Yankees, Mankata should be back and Joe Kelly should be back. Okay. So for all the games, they should be back. Um, I'm going to say they win three. Okay. I have two. Red Sox, six games. Oh, the Red Sox are struggling right now themselves. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say four. All right. I have three. Jim is a little bit pe- more optimistic than me to start. The Kansas City Royals, five games in Kauffman Stadium in four days. I'm going to say three. I have three as well. The Angels, this four-game series over the weekend. That one I'm going to say one. Me too. Yeah, that's going to be. So this show is going to be really positive in a moment here, folks. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, two at Wrigley and then two Memorial Day weekend. There's a chance that Lance Lynn could be back for that Memorial Day weekend series. I'm going to say three. I have two because things get weird between the White Sox and Cubs. A three-game home series against the Guardians. I will go with one. I have two. Three games in Toronto that one. start in the beginning of June. I'll go with one. Me too. The Tampa Bay Rays. I don't know who's going to be making that trip. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The Tampa Bay Rays. I'm going to say two. You think they can win in St. Petersburg? All right. I've got one. The home series against the Dodgers. Let's say one. All right. So after doing this and my handy Excel work. Come on. Not very handy Excel work. You got 19 wins, Jim. So you got the White Sox going 500 during this stretch, 19 and 19, which I think would be really good because I think the White Sox are going 16 and 22 during that stretch. So for you on June 10th, -hmm. you got the White Sox at 26 and 30. And I've got the White Sox at 23 and 33. I am hoping that the White Sox exceed both of our expectations. but Because that gets you yelled at by Lawrence Holmes. Yeah, so I'm going to get yelled at. I'm going to get yelled at by Lawrence Holmes anyway. So I'm supposed to be on a show tomorrow. I'm sure I'm going to get yelled at. But I think this is a helpful thought exercise because when you're trying to answer the question, are things going to get better for the White Sox? I think the honest answer is not until late June. Like mentally, we have to be prepared for the White Sox to still be below 500 into the mid middle of June. Even if Yohan Mikata comes back and Joe Kelly comes back and Luis Robert is 100% healthy, 
this is an incredibly tough part of the schedule for the White Sox. Now, for those that are kind of bummed out, I recommend going to see the White Sox schedule and look at July. July is heavy with divisional games. Look at August. Now you're starting to introduce series with the Baltimore Orioles and the Oakland Athletics. That's going to help out the White Sox. As you mentioned, Jim, this is a really uneven season for the White Sox, and their schedule is very uneven, where if we have this conversation later in the season, and we're going to have this thought exercise again, I see the White Sox making a huge run uh, at the end of the season, something along the lines of like maybe 38 and 22 in their last 60 games of this season to spark confidence that, oh, they're hot. And they're going to be hot going through the postseason. And let's see if they can continue to ride the hot hands. Like, that's kind of how I see the White Sox season ending. So even though I think the White Sox are going to be 10 games below 500 on June 10th, I still think that the White Sox can win 87 games. But preseason, I had the White Sox winning 93 games. You had them in 92. It's going to take a really hot streak. They're going to have to have a winning record in this 38-game stretch, Jim to be able to hit the win totals that we had preseason. And if they don't, I just don't know. I just don't think they have enough games to <laughs> left in the season uh, to win enough to win more than 90 games. Yeah. I just, I don't see a whole lot of value in thinking about like, how are they going to do in August right now? Just because we don't know if, you know, is going to be healthy the whole season. We True. don't know if, you know, you know, Jimenez will come back, what kind of shape he looks like. We don't know if Lynn will hold together or whether he'll, hold, you know, his knee or back or whatever will bother him. So right now, more or less taking it a week at a time. Like, I think that's fair. And, you know, when I said lowest point, like I should say, like, you know, their, their record might get worse, but it's one thing to get beat or lose series to good teams. Like if they lose series to the Yankees or they, you know, get smoked by the Dodgers or the Blue Jays, or, you know, just have a game, you know, have a three game series where they win one out of three and get outscored by 11 runs. Like that at least feels like you get entertained by watching great players and other teams. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, if, if Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and uh, if they go off and, you know, you know, Syndergaard looks like a, a decent pitcher and they lose you know, three out of four of the angels because of just some excellent superstar performances. Like, okay, that's, you know, getting beat by great players, but when they lose two out of three to the Royals and they, you know, lose, they, they get harassed by a guardians team. That's not that great, but just meant to annoy them in a very specific way because the white Sox have very uh, identifiable flaws. Like, that's annoying. And and that's mm-hmm. why I consider, I consider like this lower than say like dropping, you know, having a tough week against teams that will be going to the postseason because they happen to be really good. And the white Sox are undermanned by injuries. So I think, you know, their, their worst record there, they might fall further below 500, you know, maybe a couple months from now, but I just want to see like the quality of play, the, the offense feeling dangerous rather than, you know, having one game where they score more than three runs in regulation over the course of a two week period and, uh, and, and really nothing to take, nothing positive to take away from it. See, so for me, the whole looking ahead to August is the carrot Jim as a fan, mm. because if you're going to live week by week, and I think we have laid out that may is going to be tough. May may not be fun. White Sox fans, do they live week by week and they don't try to hold out hope that things will get better, especially the second half of the season, they may tune out. And like, that's just how White Sox fans are. White Sox do not perform well. I'm not going to watch. That's just 
just how it goes. And if they, I, based on our conversation here, there's going to be more tough weeks for the White Sox coming up here. And we are now expecting them to, to still be below 500 by at least four games in the middle of June. White Sox fans don't want to hear that. They think this is World Series or bust. So if you mm-hmm. can't beat these teams in the gauntlet, okay, so at the end of the season, why should I have any confidence that this White Sox team can make it to the World Series? The simple answer is it's the postseason. It's a crapshoot. We see teams get hot. We saw the Atlanta Braves defy all logic with the outfield configuration and guys we've never heard of before putting up zeros out of the bullpen to shock everyone and win the World Series last year. So the postseason could be completely random. It could go great for you or it could go terribly. And it went terribly. It's gone terribly for the White Sox the last couple of years. So there you go. That's your hope. Uh, that random variance is on the White Sox side this year, but they got to get there. And mm-hmm. that's why I am looking ahead to seeing how the schedule could possibly stack up in July and in August and September. Because if I still have hope that they can make a late season run, it makes this tough, this tough stretch easier to swallow Jim as a fan watching what could be more losses coming for the White Sox. I think I just take the week to week approach just because this team, you know, if they are a threat should be able to bounce back from a rough series and throw some haymakers themselves. Like that's, that's theoretically point. how it should work. So that's why, you know, if they get swept by the Yankees or, you know, have a, a rough series in St. Petersburg or whatever, like they should be able to get off the mat. And if they aren't, uh, you know, they, they should be, you know, we should be disappointed. You know, people watching them, people invest in them, uh, you know, it shouldn't be like, well, I guess it's White Sox this year. Like, no, this is like, this is what everybody was working towards. So it's it's mm-hmm. a case where like expectations should be higher and, and they shouldn't evaporate so quickly. Um, you know, otherwise it, it does feel like, you know, a little bit of resignation and maybe Rick Hahn gets left the hook or everybody says like, well, it's a Jerry Reinsdorf thing or uh, with Tony LaRusa being there and, and, you know, such, but it's, you know, this is a, what, one point, how many billion dollar, operation uh 1.7 yeah 1.7 yeah so it's like this is you know this is you know adult stuff (laughs) this is um yeah they they should have standards especially when they punt three seasons uh to get here like if they punt three seasons to build a paper tiger that's uh that's pretty bad And, and you know if we yeah i figure it's like our job to remind them like no this is how they should be playing and some might read that as false hope or being like, you know, just, uh, you know, too optimistic, but it's, uh, I think it's worth maintaining that bar just because they continue to like walk underneath it, <laughs> just, uh, your sleepwalk underneath it. Like that's, that's their problem. Not mine. Yeah. Let me just be honest on April 28th. Uh, let me just put this on record. If the Chicago white Sox in 2022 don't make the postseason, everyone deserves to get fired. Tony, the Russa, Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams can retire. It's time for new management. If this team, after everything they've set up in 2022, do not make the postseason, I don't care about the injuries or the humidor or the baseballs changing. If they don't make it to the postseason, everyone deserves to get fired. Will anyone get fired? No, but everyone deserves to get fired if they don't make the postseason. Maybe so, Frank Manichino. Probably poor Frank. He will be definitely the scapegoat 
if the White Sox do not make it the postseason. But that's the gauntlet. That's next 38 games. Jim is more optimistic than me. He's got them going 19 and 19. I got the White Sox going 16 and 22. Let's hope I am very wrong. And uh, let's hope they prove us both wrong. If they go 22 and 16, woo. Yes, that would be great to be above 500, to go through that stretch with a winning record against those types of teams. But it will raise some serious questions of why are the White Sox playing against, playing so well against the playoff contenders, but so poorly against their division rivals. But hopefully that is a conversation that we have in mid-June and not the dour conversation of, boy, how are the White Sox going to get out of this hole before the All-Star break as they are still below 500. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. But shifting gears, let's talk about that first series for the White Sox that's coming up as they will be playing against Los Angeles Angels as the Angels come into town. And this is a four-game series that stretches from Friday that goes to Monday. So this is a bit odd as far as the schedule. For the Chicago White Sox, the probable starters will start with Friday here. As the weather is supposed to be clear on Friday for this game, as the temperatures will be in the low 60s, it will be cloudy. First pitch is at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. It is Lucas Giolito making his third start of the season against Noah Syndergaard. Syndergaard is 2-0 with a 2.12 ERA. Giolito has a 1.13 ERA through his two starts at 15 strikeouts. He had nine strikeouts against the Twins in four innings in his last start. So hopefully that trend continues for Giolito because we'll chat about how good the Angels offense has been. 
Saturday, this is the game that may not be happening. There's a 90% chance of thunderstorms coming through Bridgeport for Saturday's forecast. The first pitch is scheduled for 3.05 p.m. Central Time. The probable starters are left-handed for the Angels, Jose Suarez against Vince Velasquez. So that could be a high-scoring affair if that game is played. If it's not, Sunday and Monday look clear for a doubleheader. Uh, Sunday on May 1st, 1.10 p.m. Central Time. For the White Sox, it is Dallas Keuchel. And for the Angels, it's Michael Lorenzen. And then on Monday, there was some hope we could see Shohei Otani make the start for the Angels. That doesn't look like it'll be the case, as this is a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. Patrick Sandoval has 20 strikeouts this year and has yet to allow a earned run. And opposing him will be Dylan Cease, which Dylan Cease pitched very well against the Kansas City Royals in the lone win against the Royals this series. Uh, as he had five no-hit innings before, things got a little bit slippery for Dylan Cease in that sixth inning, but he still came through. So did the White Sox as they won. That was the only game they won in the series. All right. So for this particular series, the one noticeable thing between the Angels and White Sox is that the Angels hit and the White Sox don't. And you could just look at the stats against right-handed pitching. And I'm going to keep banging this drum because this is a source of kryptonite for the White Sox. The White Sox, after the Royal Series, Jim, are hitting 200 with a 247 on base percentage, and they're slugging 322 against right-handed pitching. That's a 569 OPS. That's the worst now in Major League Baseball. So the Chicago White Sox are the worst team in baseball against right-handed pitching. The Angels are hitting 244 with a 327 on base percentage, and they're slugging 442 as a team against right-handed pitching. That's a 769 OPS, 200 points better than the White Sox. They are the second best team in Major League Baseball against right-handed pitching. Both teams are good against left-handers, except the White Sox didn't score at all against Daniel Lynch, which is just mind-numbing. The Angels are going to face three right-handed starters against the White Sox. Gilito and Cease are some of the best right-handed starters in the American League. They are going to destroy Vince Velasquez. I have just come to terms with that already, Jim. Mike Trout is going to have a big game against Vince Velasquez. That's where I see the trouble for the White Sox in this series. Circling that particular stat is the White Sox continue to struggle against right-handed pitching. When you look at this Angels team, what makes them interesting to you? Well, you know, the number that jumps out to me is that the White Sox have drawn 38 walks this season and the Angels have drawn 74. So basically they've walked uh, just wow. about twice as often. They've had, the you know, the White Sox have one guy with more than five walks. The Angels have, I believe, five. Yes, five, including three with 11. You know, Rendon, Trout, and Taylor Ward all of 11. The Taylor Ward is currently running a 509 OBP. So they have, uh, yeah, just... You know, if they walk the Royals this often, and the Royals are not a a, a patient team by any stretch of the imagination, if they're having that much trouble finding the zone against the Royals, that's one column that I think might get out of hand against a better offense. Uh, I think you know we we got a comment in the stream talking about Dallas Keuchel and saying that he's been adequate in two of three starts. Uh, just the defense has let him down and. That's true to a certain degree, but also his command or control was really 
yeah, I would say terrible, especially for a guy throwing 87. Like it's one thing to, you know, be, you know, miss that often and miss that badly throwing, you know, 95, 96, when you might mm-hmm. get more swings and misses and might get more pop-ups, but Keuchel just, you know, he, you know, after like his first time through, as I mentioned, like 50 pitches or so, like the command really loosens on him. So I feel like this is going to be a fascinating start for him just because he's facing really good hitters, <laughs> really good hitters who should be able to spit on anything he's throwing low or outside or inside. You know, it's when he tries to expand the plate or expand the vertical uh, nature of the zone, like I don't think they're going to react. So that's, you know, you mentioned Velasquez getting destroyed. I'm more interested in seeing like, can Keuchel like, or one, like is Keuchel really going to be feeling the lack of support from his two outings that ended in disaster, just because like, this is a team that's going to hurt him hard. And all of a sudden he's four starts in and has an ERA. That's a uh, double digits. Like that's, that's, I think going to be a, you know, maybe not a make or break start. Not until we see what Johnny Cueto has uh, in Charlotte. Uh, not until we see how Lance Lynn's doing. Like I think his rope is a bit longer, but uh I think this is a case where if he nibbles or yeah, I guess not even nibbles. Yeah. I I think that's too kind of a word because he is really off the corners in the, in, you know, the fourth inning or so in his start, like I could see like just Mm -hmm. that ending poorly and being pretty rough. So I, I really think either the White Sox need to get more patient or the balls need to start leaving the yard because this is a series that could expose just how, how quickly they're at bats end in the time of possession thing I was talking about. Yeah. I think on Friday is going to be, it's a Friday night game. It should be well attended. I'm excited to go. I tested negative for COVID. So I'm I'm in the clear so I can attend these games. So if you are going to be in attendance, it'd be great to see you. Friday's no better time to see Josh. In fact. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Friday's going to be incredibly frustrating because Lucas Giolito, if he pitches as well as he did against the Minnesota Twins, I think he's got the ability, even though we're hyping up the Angels, to keep the Angels at bay, hold them to one to two runs. That's just going to feel like too much of a (laughs) deficit to overcome. And for those that are pining for the old days of Noah Syndergaard, like 2015 with the New York Mets, you may see that (laughs) Friday night. Uh, against this White Sox lineup. Like, I I just don't have a lot of confidence in the White Sox against Noah Syndergaard. Uh, I think we're going to see a doubleheader. I don't see the Saturday game happening, which that's the hockey sweater night, Jim. So hmm. lines were going to be an hour long anyways to get that White Sox hockey sweater. Uh, if they don't, if they're not able to play that game, sure, I think they could hit Jose Suarez, but Michael Lorenzen could give the White Sox issues. Like, I wasn't hmm. expecting... And we talked about this in the last two shows when it comes to these right-hand starters, like Noah Syndergaard still has premium stuff. Michael Lorenzen, not so much, but yes, the White Sox did some damage against Zach Granke. They scored three runs against Granke. They also struck out four times when he entered that game with only two strikeouts for the season. Mm -hmm. Brad Keller is throwing the ball better to start the year but he dominated the White Sox along with Dylan Bundy and Bailey Ober. Like that's just where I am right now with this team until they get a bit healthier. If you're a right-handed human being throwing a baseball against this White Sox offense, it's going to be a tough day at the ballpark for the offense to score some runs. So that's why I'm pretty pessimistic about this particular series for the White Sox, even though you got Giolito and cease throwing in this series and you may want to, 
hype yourself up and say, hey, with the White Sox facing two left-handed starters in these four games, they should split. But I just uh, there's just not a lot of confidence that I have right now that the White Sox offense is going to be able to go toe-to-toe against one of the best offenses in all of Major League Baseball. I mean, just look at the numbers. Mike Trout has got an OPS over 1,200, and there's this Taylor Ward. So Taylor Ward is the reason Justin Upton got cut, and they're Mm -hmm. eating all that cash. Ward has four homers and 11 RBIs. He's got 11 walks to just nine strikeouts, and he's got an OPS over 1,200 to start the season. Uh, there's just some really hot hitters here. And, and I just have this sinking feeling being the stands gym Friday night. If Lucas Giolito were to give up a three run homer to Mike Trout, we've seen that before, but that might be the ball game. And I'm going to be paying attention to the mood around me in the stadium, because that might be telling of what the overall mood is right now for White Sox fans, even though the season is early. Yeah, it's a case where like, you know, this this uh, series against the Royals, yeah, it's hard to, and you know, this isn't an excuse. It's more a matter of just like when you have 12,000 fans in the stand, when you have games shifted from night to day, when you have, you know, two midweek day games in a row, it's not really a representative feel in the stands. That's not to say like the White Sox have crapped the bed enough in front of big crowds to know that that's not enough. But just like in terms of, Stadium feel and the, how the disappointment, if there is disappointments, if how it registers in the stands, if there's booing, like right now, like when you have 12,000 fans in the midweek series, uh, when it's, you know, 40 degrees and windy and it's the, one o'clock. Yeah. Right? Or you get like the night game where you have Ric Flair woos going back and forth. Like those are like, uh, <laughs> those are kind of like seagulls basically. Like when you see like the, yeah, I remember like the late afternoon Cubs games when they didn't draw in the eighties and you just see the seagulls coming in off the lake and just, yep. you know, just swirling behind the pitchers and picking up hot dog wrappers, like, uh, and a few thousand fans are left. Like that's what that reminds me of just like kind of scavengers taking over the park and, and, uh, and, and feasting on, on what, on the food people have dropped. That's what I, they never show the fans doing that, but that's just what I think they're doing in my head. Just eating food off the ground. Uh, that's not really a representative, um, feedback, uh, cycle. I should say it's just, it's more indifference. It's more people too cold to do anything aside from Mm -hmm. just, you know, keep their body huddled to, to maximize warmth. So weather warming up a little bit, uh, if they, if they play as flat as they have, like it could get loud and in the wrong way. And I think Tony Larusa is uniquely unpopular enough to where, like, you know, Robin Ventura, when he, I think Robin Ventura is well liked enough. Like, I think everybody realized he was in over his head, but I don't think people disliked him. I think they wanted to see him gone, but I don't think they disliked him. I, I think they felt bad for him. They felt like it was unfortunate and White Sox loyalty painting him to this corner, but just they wanted better for him than what he got. I think there's no such loyalty for Larusa. So, if every time he comes to the mound or something like that, people like it's, it just could get, could get rough and the feedback could get um, uniquely honest to where like, you know, <laughs> you know, will Benetti acknowledge it? Will Stone acknowledge it? Will they have to like, um, you know, join in as well if it gets that loud and, 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 you know, you just hear it over the TV like that. That's, that's what I'm looking. I should not say looking forward to, but just uh, after three games of very, paltry crowds for good reason uh this should be a a good weekend crowd to just see exactly 
one, what they do. And then two, if they keep doing what they've been doing, uh, how are the paying excited crowds going to react? It was funny. One of my favorite exchanges from the broadcast through this series, Jason Benetti said the weather will get warmer. And Steve Stone responded, I hope so. And then Benetti followed it up. The defense will get better. And Steve Stone's like, I hope so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the two kryptonite for the White Sox. So they're going to win any games against the Angels this weekend. They got to hit better against the right-handers in this series to give themselves a chance to support Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease. They're going to need to bust out the bats to help support Vince Velasquez and Dallas Keuchel in those games against this Angels offense. And they're gonna, they got to play better defense. Maybe mm-hmm. the Angels, with their understanding and dominating the strike zone right now, they're still going to draw a healthy amount of walks. But you can't miss on the double play opportunities on slow rollers in the infield. And you can't compound mistakes by making errors in the field and giving an extra out to this lineup that does have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and Anthony Rendon and a red-hot ta- uh, Taylor Wade. You, you just can't because then things got to get out of hand. It's the weekend. People will find other things to occupy themselves. The NFL draft will still be going on. So maybe, maybe they will be like more interested in, Oh, who are the bears picking to the fifth round right now? I'd rather watch that than watch Vince Velasquez pitch. Uh, you could honestly see that conversation over the weekend, but hopefully that will not be the case. And the Chicago white Sox play a lot better this weekend. They have to, they're going to get out of this hole and they're in a hole right now. And they are starting this very tough 38 game gauntlet. We'll obviously have the game recaps for you guys on SoxMachine.com throughout the weekend. One programming note, the Sox Machine podcast, which usually is in your feed Monday morning, that hour long show is going to be in your feed Tuesday morning as we want to wait to recap the Angels series. So on Monday morning in your podcast feed, you're going to have a White Sox wake-up call to recap all the action from Sunday and, of course, throughout the weekend for the White Sox minor league affiliates. Speaking of the White Sox minor league affiliates, we cover them every single day thanks to the wonderful team from Future Sox. So make sure you're visiting SoxMachine.com slash Future Sox to read that work daily as Jim has been doing a terrific job with the minor league notes capturing all of the good performances so far. And the Future Sox team have been writing great articles covering the teams as well. So make sure you are visiting SoxMachine.com slash Future Sox and follow them on Twitter at Future Sox and also subscribe to the Future Sox podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. As this episode of Sox Machine Live, we are finished here and we are leading up to our friends from the 108. They have their show starting at 8 p.m. Central Time which you, you can watch on YouTube at youtube.com slash from the 108. But you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Socks Machine so you'll be notified of upcoming videos and live streams. If you don't get an opportunity to watch the show live, you can always listen to the episode later in our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're new to Socks Machine or a longtime lurker of Socks Machine and you don't support us on Patreon, you could do so at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content like our 2022 Major League Baseball draft reports and our extended version of P.O. Socks, where we answer additional P.O. Socks questions from our Patreon supporters. They also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, 
they are the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at just $2 a month and you could save with an annual subscription. Again, you could sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. <laughs>